Dear Church Podcast. All right, we are live. Dear Church Podcast. Wanted to give it a little extra time there, so we caught our intro this week. Um, but today is uh, Monday as we record this broadcast live, and it is uh, October the what was that October the fourth today. Uh, and today's a very special day, as you notice. Our nicknames are now on the Zoom um, feature that we have here. We have the beard, the boy, the bulldog, and the birthday boy, Martin Wickens. Look at that! Happy I birthday. know. Happy birthday! I didn't notice Martin. that until you mentioned it. Yeah. Oh, really? You didn't know I put that on your name? No. It's so fun being in control. Uh, so how old are you? Uh, 41. 41. So this isn't really a significant birthday. No, no, not really. Well, everyone is significant, but you know. Hey, yes, did you struggle absolutely. when you turned 40, Martin? Mentally? With that? No, I, I think um, where I was in life, kind of physically, spiritually, and just a lot going on, it was, uh, was and is a great time. Amen. That Martin Wickens, so smart. I love it. He is so smart. Steve, did you want to sing happy birthday to Martin? You know, I normally sing happy birthday in Polish, but I think that could be awkward for everybody. Would you like me to do it? I, I would love Martin, I mean, why not? If could Martin we, asked me. Could we warn our listeners to mute first? <laughs> yeah, Tom, Tom t- is going to take his earbuds out real quick. Give him a second. Yeah. All right. Go ahead, brother Steve. I'm ready. <laughs> so is Martin. <laughs> well, let's just jump right in today. Uh, The purpose of these lives, as we've discussed before, is that um, we want to have time to maybe give a little bit of our feedback and thank our listeners. Uh, I've really been thankful for those who have listened, those who who agree with us largely, um, and those who disagree with us have been, in many cases, I think, gracious in their feedback. And that's been, um, I think, helpful uh, for us. Um, It's it's if anything, it's been encouraging uh, that we have so many people who would take take time and, and the downloads keep racking up. It just, it really blows my mind how many people have listened to the Dear Church podcast. And so we want to take a little uh, time right here at the beginning for some fan mail and feedback. And we're going to kick it to the beard, Tom Brennan at this time. Okay. So I think the last episode that we had, um, we did a live two weeks ago. And then last week's episode was previously recorded. It was on influence and it swerved into the topic of, of the generation gap. And uh, we got a lot of interesting feedback about that. Um, a lot of that was directed toward Brother Russ in relation to the fact that he and I had an extended conversation. I mean, we all did, but he and I had an extended conversation about age and ministry and the interaction between that. So, Brother Russ, you want to take a moment and tell us about some of the feedback you got on your end? Yeah, it was it was interesting and, and I think encouraging as well that that so many younger men in ministry um, reached out to me on that. And, and I, I hope that it, the way that we discuss things, Tom, and I went back and listened a little bit. Uh, and I feel that it was a respectful dialogue. It was um, it was a profitable, fruitful dialogue, uh, and, and one in which I want to be clear that that there's no bitterness in my heart. There's no um, there's I'm not jaded, uh, but uh, just hopefully an encouragement to the younger guys. I, I had um, I won't give all the names of those who reached out. I just you know some of them were private messages. The ones who are public, I think we feel a little bit more comfortable sharing. But mm-hmm. a lot of guys who. Uh, again, some would agree with me on the majority of issues, um, and some would agree with me on on maybe not so many issues. But um, just thankful that uh, that people took the time and 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 I again, Tom, you know, I feel like our our dialogue was respectful and and profitable for us both. Is that is that how you felt? Yes, I I really think that you helped me with that with that whole idea of building a relationship. Um, 
And I heard that back from several people as well, that that was a key point with them, younger guys, that that was a key point that really resonated with them. So that specifically helped me in our conversation. And I think, Steve, you even heard from a pastor, he's not old, but he's older, um, who said it, it helped him even in dealing with his staff. Oh, yeah, that was uh, that was actually encouraging to me that he was going to go a certain route. And because of what we had talked about and really the conversation between you and Tom and I've gotten a, I've gotten a little uh, complaint mail about um, me coming across as if I told young guys to shut up and sit down. You were the villain. I, I, in person, yeah. in person, it was so much nicer, just so much lighthearted on the podcast. It came across <laughs> a little differently. Yeah, I did. and uh, I, I am thankful for older people investing in me. My whole point was when you're younger, just have the attitude to learn. I mean, and I, you, that is what you said. And yeah. at the time, you know, I even agreed with you because I knew what you were saying, which was. When you were my age, you said, Hey, I don't, I don't deserve anything. I'm just going to sit here and listen. Yeah. And, and that's, that is a, I think that's a humble attitude to take uh, in regards to being young. Um, and then there's also the, you know, that, that desire, that craving uh, to kind of break out and not break away, but to mm -hmm. break out into your own. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that's what, that's where we came to. And that was that it's helpful for older men in ministry to aid in that process um, as opposed to rejecting and pushing back constantly on that process. And I don't think that that's been something that I've experienced in, in at great length. Um, but certainly a little bit of it is out there. Yeah. And <laughs> I shouldn't go here. I'm about to make you guys nervous, but my hair is kind of, a always makes it's kind of a metaphor for what we're talking about. Cause my wife's friend told me once that, my hair pretty much looks like an old guy trying to look young. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might have I to have agree no with comment. that. Midlife crisis. At least I didn't buy a Corvette or anything, you know? Oh, that yeah. would have actually, I would have done that as opposed to the hair. Hey, but, there you, you know, go. That's your, your call. Just jealous. I can't do that with my hair because it's all gone <laughs> here in the front. Uh, also got some feedback about, um, this was an interesting, I got a really long text from one particular guy, and he and I have talked a lot. He's, an, he's a, a younger man who's an assistant pastor in a northern state. I'm not going to use his name, but he he was talking about influence, was which, that, which was what last week's podcast was originally about before it evolved into a discussion of age. And I'm going to read a little bit of what he had to say here because it's very interesting. He says, as a young person, this is what has at times driven me to what may be, may be considered unsafe influences. So he's going to give us some reasons why. From his perspective, he chooses influences that he thinks are good that maybe my generation would think are unsafe. Um, number one, unsatisfactory or shallow answers. When I was in college, I was told I could not graduate because I asked questions in class about the pre-tribulational rapture. That's mind boggling to me. Um, uh, he goes on to say, asking questions about Calvinism is another example. Often my questions were viewed as not being in line. This communicated to me that those I was asking did not have meaningful answers and drove me to look elsewhere. And he expands on that in number two about content and the whole idea being that one of the things that drives from his perspective, drove him to look at influences that perhaps we might view as problematic is because he couldn't find good answers in the influence we view as being beneficial. And I think that's a genuine problem. And I think all of us would agree about that, that there's a lack of content in real solid content of depth. When you're talking about biblical subjects, or you're talking about commentaries, mm -hmm. or you're talking about, those sorts of things. It's a it's an independent Baptist problem. John Rice writes has written some good content. 
I think Dennis Coral does. I think James Knox does. I think all of us might throw in some names of guys we think have good content, but mostly we seem to publish how-to stuff, and that leaves young guys who are looking for answers with nowhere to go. Yeah, and Tom, that's one thing I do appreciate about you is that you're willing to write thoroughly on a subject, uh, and if someone doesn't like that, well, so be it. But at least yeah, they can't say you put something out there, and and that's that's it's always fun for me when we get into these little Twitter discussions. I won't say battles but discussions and Tom just says, Oh, I've written extensively on this matter. You can check it out here. And I, I really appreciate that because you're pointing them to something that you have done. I, I had one exchange. Uh, and again, I, I actually felt like it ended very respectfully. I had an exchange with a guy um, that he wanted me to give a chapter and verse on an issue to prove a point. And I said, no, no, no. I said, listen, I said on that particular issue, I said, when I do respond to it, I said, it's going to be all of the, the verses. Because sometimes we take just, you know, on both sides, we take the, the obscure passages of scripture and misuse them. Sure. Um, and so that was my response. And, and I, I've been uh, criticized. Well, you know, you don't have a verse. You don't have a chapter and a verse. I go, I go, yeah, but when you chapter and verse me, you're asking me to eisegete. And I'm not going to eisegete. And so I want to go study this in depth. And that's something that I think you've done very thoroughly, Tom. And it's one reason I want to get Brother Wickens to write, and I've talked to him about this, and I didn't plan to necessarily bring this up, but I'll just go ahead and whack him over the head about it now. He does need to write because he thinks and he studies. Uh, and as we've already established in this podcast, he writes other men's sermons. So I wish you would write some books. Yeah, this guy goes I, on to I say his, that. Speaking of books, I realized I kind of um, I missed out on something you guys are all doing. Let me just. <laughs> there we go. I'll, plug. I'll cover up my MacArthur books and uh, put up. My, my Brandon books. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let, let me add something to our influence episode that I think is really important. And that is as preachers, especially the older we get, that we have a gentle spirit. You know, the Bible mm -hmm. says in Second Timothy 2, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. And even that's wisdom from above. It's pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits. And um, I always want to have that disposition, especially with younger guys. In fact, I have a son studying for the ministry and he has some friends and he has one particular friend that is full of life. He's a great guy. And every time I got him around another preacher, he became this timid little, you know, shell of a man. And I was like, after it happened twice, I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, well, I don't know if these preacher friends of yours are going to come at me if I question them. And I'm like, no, I said, any preacher friend I have isn't going to come after you. And there is no bad question to ask an older preacher if they have the right spirit. And I think that right. the gentle spirit, like Tom, what you were saying about, you know, I couldn't question this or question right. that. I'm like, ask any question. And if someone beats you up about it, go to someone else, I guess. But I, but I think the, the reality is, is for younger guys is sometimes if we ask a question, it's viewed as a departure. Which is, which is exactly this guy's point in this text. Yeah. He says in the next one, number three, a lack of humility and grace. If I think I'm going to get beat up for asking you a question, I would just ask the question to someone who won't beat me up, which is yeah. exactly what you, what, what, what you guys are talking about. We have got to cultivate an attitude of approachability. And, is that a word? And the influences in my life have not beat me up. So mm -hmm. they are out there. And maybe I'm just privileged in the sense that I've had more, exposure to people with a gracious spirit than others. And I, again, experiences, I think of not a great metric, um, 
but but every once in a while it has to be mentioned. And my experience is I, I could name a number of guys who I would call right now. They wouldn't beat me up. They would help me. Um, and so that's that's a great point. Martin, you know, you you were on you were. I'm sorry. I just wanted to no, get Martin's thoughts on this a little bit. You were in um, uh, overseas, obviously, for a long time. Um, did you have specific influences? Do you have specific influences? And did you feel the the same struggle that I'm describing now that some young men feel? Again, I feel like I was very blessed. I was always able to ask questions. Uh, my pastor is just super gracious. Um, but I know of a specific instance in uh, Ireland where a young man felt like he was never really given the opportunity to to ask questions, to grow, and he was he felt like he was ready. But um, eventually, he he walked away from the church. He walked away completely. Um, so I think that you know, for me, being able to ask questions and having good and godly men that would in you know allow that made a big difference. Amen. Amen. All right. And then the last thing I've got for feedback and fan mail is a very interesting letter we got from a pastor down south. I'll just read it to you. He says, I want to say that the Dear Church podcast has been a tremendous blessing to me. I was in an extreme version of the IFB for 14 years when the Lord called me to be the pastor of the church I was raised in. Uh, I began to study the scripture in a different way than I ever had. I had questions that I couldn't answer. To be honest, I started following the, and he names another podcast, started following the crowd, which so many young preachers like myself have done, trying to find a balance. Thankfully, due to my upbringing and God's grace, I knew that crowd was not my crowd. The Dear Church podcast has helped me to realize there is a balance to being an independent Baptist and sticking with the King James. Mm. Your statement in the episode on pragmatism about what success in the ministry really is was a game changer for me. Thank you, sir, for your definite stand. Of course, he's thanking all of us for your stand for the Lord, your willingness to tell it like it is. That was encouraging to me very much, and I know to all of us, because we do we really want to encourage brethren who are just sincerely trying to follow the Lord, and they know they don't want to go left. And that, that, just, warmed, that just warmed my heart. Yeah, that that's a phenomenal response because there's been this push to go so far away from the extreme on the one side. And I think part of what what we've seen, we got another Twitter response just a couple of days ago. I responded to it this morning and it just said one word refreshing. Hmm. And I think that maybe all four of us we're listening to things that people were saying and, and they were pushing toward an, an, another extreme. And we were like, yeah, yeah, let's, okay. So let's, let's adjust some things that need adjusting, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's just a commonly used, you know, colloquialism or whatever. And, and not, not so far, not so far. Right. Let's, let's not go so extreme the other way. And, and Martin, you just mentioned the, the young man who felt like he couldn't ask a question. So we just left everything. Mm-hmm. Well, we want, we want to see people like, the man Tom just, you know, read, um, we want to see them encouraged. Uh, we don't want to hurt anybody. You know, we want to, we want to love on people and we want to be a blessing to people. So, uh, that being said, thank you to our listeners and our, um, our friends and, and those maybe even I say this respectfully critics, uh, thank you for responding. And we encourage you to continue to do that. We wanted to take a few moments, uh, on today's live podcast and discuss a topic um, and we started talking this over just recently about uh, periods of our of our ministries, uh, respective ministries, where we felt like, you know, we just wanted to quit. Um, we just wanted to walk away. It got so discouraging. It got so troubling um, that we thought, you know, is this 
Is this worth it? Uh, is this what we should be doing? And um, we all have some thoughts on that. Um, we're going to kick it off with the birthday boy here, just kind of sharing his heart a little bit. Uh, I think maybe everyone else has an experience or two they might uh, share or a principle they might share, depending on if they're comfortable with sharing an experience. So Martin, uh, why don't you just start us off on this topic? Yeah, well, I guess before we get too much into it, um, you know, usually we don't push too hard for people to share and and get the podcast out there. But, um, you know, if you know someone who is struggling in the ministry, uh, who perhaps uh, having thoughts of, of quitting, then this would be uh, hopefully a helpful episode to them. And I would encourage you to share it with them, um, whether it's on this live stream or later on, because uh, we want to be a help, like uh, Russ has said. I guess my thoughts on it are, you know, I've been in the ministry 15, 16 years now, and I've definitely had times where I feel like I just wanted to to give in, you know, and and to just walk away from the ministry. Um, I don't feel like I've ever wanted to give up on my faith. We hear a lot about people deconstructing their faith today and lots of big names, you know, not just walking away from ministry, but walking away from Christ and, and everything. Um, and I've never been there, but I have wanted to walk away from being a pastor and being an active ministry. And so the first thing I want to really bring out is that what we go through, it's, it's not necessarily a rare thing. Um, some people will suffer with those thoughts to a greater or lesser degree than others. Um, but as far back as you go, you, you find stories about pastors wanting to give up. And, you know, I, I was thinking this morning of second Corinthians four, where the apostle Paul, he says, we faint not. And then he gives reasons why he doesn't faint. And he talks about being beaten and he talks about everything that goes on. Uh, but he says, we faint not, you know, he's been given a ministry. He's been given something to do. Um, and then jumping ahead to Spurgeon, uh, you know, in when he was 22 years old, I was reading recently, uh, his ministry had grown massively. You know, it was he, he was at a point at the beginning of his ministry where many of us would love to get to by the end of our ministries. And there were 12,000 people in the hall uh, that they'd had to rent specifically for it. Another 10,000 stood outside and somebody basically shouted fire. There was chaos. Um, seven people ended up dying, 29 people seriously injured. And Spurgeon at the time said that he, he just wanted to, to give up. He, he was very, very close to just walking away from everything. And you know, by the grace of God, he didn't quit. And, and we thank the Lord. But, you know, if Spurgeon, if the Apostle Paul, um, if men that we know have been at that point where they wanted to say, I've had enough, then I, I would say to our listeners now, don't feel like you're going through a unique struggle. Um, we're in this together and, and the Lord's grace is sufficient. And hopefully as we go through the podcast, I know I'm doing, I'm breaking all of our rules. I'm having a long monologue. Um, but Hopefully we can share how we've struggled, why we've struggled, but then how we've come through and what's helped us. And uh, that's that's kind of the direction I'm hoping we can take with the podcast today. All right, Anyone so else? who's next? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the if we move to here, then, you know, what what has made us want to quit? I mean, what have been the circumstances, whether specific or in general, where we've walked away and thought, I've, I've had enough. Yeah, I can. I mean, I can share. I've really made a decision whether to get specific or speak more generally. 
And ultimately, there's about four things that have always brought me to that point. Obviously, problems, that's very general, but something doesn't go right and it's perceived maybe by yourself or by other people. Um, you know, obviously we're Americans, so it's, well, three of us are, um, and it's about success. You know, we're very driven. Um, and then there's failure, you know, the problems, and then you have failed at what you've done. And then people kind of enter into it. And then the fourth one is extreme emotion. And in, in my wife and I's life and ministry, we've had two kind of events that have really been difficult. My wife had a scare of cancer back when she was in her early thirties, had a complete hysterectomy, which throws you into medical menopause. And when you have little kids and you're in your early thirties and you're going through menopause, it's difficult. And it was hard. It was everything. I, I There were so many quit points there. I can't even go into it. And then even more recently, my head injury, my brain injury really threw me into an emotional state in a, in a bad way. And it also, I think it was difficult for people because no one can see a, a brain injury and they think you're fine because the outside looks fine. And those extreme emotions, the problems, you feel like you failed. And then if people don't understand that, and then people can kind of really pile on and that brings you to that breaking point. So if we're, we're talking about the breaking points, um, you know, and then I'll even keep one aspect on the people and the problems and the failure. It's, you know, there's qualifications for a pastor and I don't think we should ever minimize those, but because of that, people have this standard of what a pastor needs to be so high. And, and, you know, our podcast is called Dear Church. In fact, one general criticism I get is that, you know, it seems like we're directed toward pastors a lot and it's entitled Dear Church. But I hope when people that aren't pastors are listening, which I, I think hundreds do, um, that you kind of learn the heart of pastors and hearing some pastors talk pretty plainly. And if you want your pastor to be transparent, you got to realize he's flesh and blood, just like you. And he's not your priest. Um, your spiritual growth is primarily upon you. He wants to grow you, but, um, you know, I, I think pastors need to be loved on rather than piled on at times. Yeah. There's a, I think, a I think the, um, Sorry, go ahead, Tom. No, go ahead, Mark. No, I was going to say when I was thinking, you know, thinking of those points where I wanted to to just quit. You know, sometimes there were, you know, extreme situations taking place, and um, you know, I've been in situations where, and, and this is an extreme um, that, you know, I had church members who had basically threatened another church member's life, and that's kind of an extreme situation, and that's hard to to take. But sometimes in those extreme situations, I found a special grace. Other times, you know, I did just want to, you know, give up. So there's extreme situations, um, things we don't deal with every day, whether it's, you know, counseling somebody who's been through a, you know, terrible abuse situation that weighs heavy on an individual. Um, but then other times it's just the day to day burdens we carry of preaching and teaching of praying of being aware of a hundred different scenarios and yeah. so just the regular burden and and something i want to make clear for the non-pastors that are listening to us don't take any of this as a complaint you know we we 
are so privileged to be pastors and we yes, praise the Lord for it. We rejoice in it. Um, but hopefully by us opening up a little bit, we're not looking to have the burdens taken away uh, because it's what God has called us to. But just be aware, this is what your pastor sometimes goes through. And so sometimes it can be an extreme situation. Sometimes it can just be a bad Sunday. Um, and and that's, you know, what can happen. Or Or it can be the devil telling the pastor it was a bad Sunday. Yeah. And so often it's not really a bad Sunday. Um, you know, it, it could be perfectly fine, but like you said, in your mind, you, you walk away and you think, man, that, that was just one mess after another. I think probably, sorry, go, I'll, uh, do you mind if I jump in real quick, Tom? Um, the, the one thing that was not mentioned yet is the literal and very real satanic attack that pastor's face. Um, and you know, it's kind of ironic. This is pastor appreciation month. Um, so those who are not pastors, maybe this will be helpful for you. Uh, yesterday, you know, I'll just give a little personal testimony and, and this was not a quitting moment for me by any means. It's actually a great, great day yesterday. The Lord really blessed our services, but it started out as a battle. Um, this whole past week has been a battle in some respects. Uh, and I won't go into detail on that, but, uh, we got here and I, I was able to get up early and uh, go minister uh, to some local law enforcement at uh, 7 a.m. I got here at the church, was kind of finalizing my sermon notes, and um, the assistant pastor of our church comes in, and he says, got a little situation. And then immediately I knew that wasn't good, and someone had taken a brick and busted out all of the windows on our buses. Mm. And uh, it must have happened Saturday night, early Sunday morning, because we, you know, we'd been back there where they're parked. Um, and uh, there, were, there were a lot of immediate it like in that five minute period of time where we're like, okay, what are we going to do today? There were a lot of kind of highs and lows. Uh, one of the lows was I'm sitting here thinking, man, we have security cameras sitting in boxes yet to be installed. Hmm. It was on the, on the list for this month. If we'd have just thought to do that. Um, one of the highs was, you know what, this, the devil's fighting. This must be getting ready to be a good day. Um, and then, then we were going through trying to figure out ultimately God just gave us a wonderful day. We had people saved. We got, we got, we borrowed a bus. We got the kids picked up. We had kids saved. We had adults saved and all that. But it's amazing to me. And that was more maybe extreme example of what I've dealt with. Uh, but the, the hardest, most emotional battles seem to weigh on the preacher as he's going up to the pulpit. Mm -hmm. And that that's when you get the complaint, you know, I need to talk to you, pastor. That's when, you know, and people are unwitting. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not criticizing my people, but um, that is when, when that tends to happen. And, and I don't blame people for that. I, I think, I think the devil just has it out for ministers of God who are trying to do what God's called them to do. What do you think, Tom? I think that Brudnack's list of four things was pretty, pretty spot on. Um, I'm going to be specific with an illustration here. Um, transparent a bit. So when I first started pastoring, uh, my first Sunday, I pastored eight people. There were eight people there a year. No, uh, there were 11 people. Forgive me. There were 11 people. I wasn't married, didn't have a family. <clears throat> a year later, I'd done such a, such a sterling job. On my year anniversary, we had eight. So we decreased by three people in the first year I pastored. It was just just very, just as discouraging as it sounds. There were many times I preached to one or two people. There were times there was nobody there at all. Um, 
I struggled with that as anybody would, but especially coming out of a out of a system that had promoted so much that success is, and this goes back to what you were talking about, Steve, about failure. Success was was the thing, and success was described to me as numerical results. That was what I was soaked in. And so I don't have these numerical results and my, my pitiful results are getting worse. And I remember I had gone up to Michigan. My brother got married and he'd asked me to be the best man in his wedding. It was on a Saturday, of course. So I drove up there. I was best man in his wedding. That was emotionally, and this is where it connects also with what you said, Steve. It was emotionally difficult for me. I was single at the time. Um, I was a lot of single people struggle with the fact they're not married. They're lonely. They're frustrated. And I was both of those. I was lonely and frustrated. Um, I felt that I was looked down on as a single pastor. And I've talked to single pastors about that and, and tried to help them with that. And my my tiny church was just failing. Um, it, it was just and I drove. I decided that I couldn't miss a Sunday. And so I'd stayed late at the wedding. My brother asked me to make sure the hall that was rented was all cleaned up and everything was taken care of. So he and his wife left and I stayed to make sure everything was taken care of, if I remember the story correctly. But I didn't know how to drive through the night. So I drove all night, coming back to my church in Pennsylvania, got back about five or six in the morning, changed my clothes, tried to prepare a sermon. Uh, I was also working a full time job at the time and I remember walking into the pulpit that Sunday morning. I looked out and there was just a tiny handful of people and it seemed like I cared and they didn't. And it was all just a waste of my life. And I think in 24 years of pastoring, that's the closest I've ever come to just walking away and saying, I quit. Well, yeah, yeah, I think that'll do it. I mean, I, um, I'm kind of, sympathize with standing up sometimes to preach and there literally being nobody there, uh, you know, an empty building and, and just walking away because there was nobody to preach to. Now I'll preach to one person as, as passionately as I'll preach to a hundred, but when there's an empty room, you know, that's, that's a very particular kind of struggle. Yeah. I, I have vivid memories when I pastored in Iowa, we, we went through a really rough spell. We had grown a, a bunch and reaching young families. And then we had a business meeting go really bad. And it was just, it was very hurtful. It was very petty, it seemed. And I remember sitting in my living room, looking at the one ads, they were just happened to be next to me you know, the millennials listening can ask their grandparents what the one ads are, but, um, and it was an ad there for a car salesman for Molstead motors there in Charles city, Iowa. And I thought, you know, that, that would triple my income. It would, it would, uh, it would be probably fun. And I, that was the closest I've ever come to quitting. And I contemplated it for, for the first time. And, uh, since then, there's been extreme times like that. It, what I already talked about with my wife and, um, you know, I don't know if we're going to make the shift toward the the reasons we don't quit or what kept us going. Um, do you want me to make that shift now? Yeah, well, I think that there's one other thing I can just kind of one other thing I wanted to go into. Um, you know, there's internal and external pressures. And then, Steve, you already kind of referred to this. Um, 
I think the the internal pressures where we've gone through a lot of the external pressures, it can be financial. Um, it can be when ministry has hurt our families. I, I know, uh, and it, you know, if, if present church members or former church members hear this, I, I'm not complaining. I don't have regrets. You know, it was a time in our lives. The Lord brought us through it, and we love everyone that God has, has allowed us to be a part of uh, in their lives. But there were times when, you know, my wife would just cry. And you think, you know what, if if I were doing something else, yep. she she wouldn't have this burden to bear. Um, you maybe see your, fa- your, your children go without because financially you've taken a hit and you think, you know what, you know, and again, the enemies, you know, in your ear and saying, if, if you went and did this, you could make so much more money. Your kids wouldn't have to go without. Um, there's the criticism. Uh, and again, it's almost a unique thing with pastors. I think we love people so deeply and then you feel like they don't care. And, and it's just, you know, and we know that God has called us to continue to love them. Um, and, and again, I think for me, it was when the problems were cumulative. So I was working a full-time job, pastor in full-time and everything was falling in and, and just, I'll say this as a last, and then I think we do need to move on to what's kept us going, but there was a time of life when I had the oversight of three different buildings, my home and two, two churches, all three of them one week had a gas leak for different reasons. So all three stood a chance of blowing up, literally blowing up. Um, and if you can't see the enemy in that, um, yeah. I took my, you know, we had to evacuate our house. They almost had to evacuate the entire street. We, I took my wife and children to a friend's house, uh, to Andrew Sturm, who, uh, Steve knows now I dropped them off. And when I drove away, they had a water leak and their ceiling collapsed. And I had so much going wrong that my friends started a group on Facebook. We know Martin Wickens and I have the bruises to prove it. And they were all going on and they were saying, yeah, Martin came to my house and this broke, or I was Martin, and I tripped and fell and it's probably still up in Facebook somewhere. And, and so I say all that to say, you know, sometimes it's an extreme event, but sometimes it can just be cumulative and it just seems like everything's piling on. So wherever you're at as a pastor, um, you know, press on, listen to the rest of the podcast. Hopefully we'll have something to help. Well, and while we're, we're getting ready to go into maybe some of the things that have helped us individually, uh, I do want to say our Facebook right now is, is I, I mean, there's four or five comments that have just come in in the last 10 minutes of people who are saying, you know, I've absolutely been there. Um, one, you know, he said it's, it's discouraging to preach to a few people, but it's real discouraging when people who are there get up and leave. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I want to thank by name Mike Kleitz for saying your discouragements are an encouragement. Thank you, Mike. Uh, and uh, a serious one, you know, the family having to sacrifice and the attacks on them is the most difficult thing. When I can handle a lot, I, I mean, you know, I'm pretty resilient, but to see my kids suffer or to see my wife hurt, that's a do- totally different story. You know? Yeah. I, I, I would add to just preaching to a few people that there, I, to me, I've done that many a times, and that is not as difficult as preaching to critical people, to eye rolls, to people laughing oh, at yeah. you. That's a good point. And I think people yeah. don't even comprehend sometimes. And we're not we're not whining as pastors as much as to, to really paint a picture for our, our pastors' couples retreat, which you can find at livingunited.com. Um, we uh, we we did a Same skit with one of my friends, assistant pastors, and he was pretending to be a church member. And I was coaching him on things to say to me 
that pastors would all understand. He's like, I can't say that. That's awful. And he was blown away that I'm like, that's things that all of us have heard at one time or another. It's yeah. it's utterly amazing. And I have preached to eye rolling and people oh, yeah. literally laughing at the things I preach. And it's just, yeah, I, I you know, I, I've preached to just, I mean, my first pastor at six people voted to call me. So, and they usually slept through all my sermons, but I would take that over eye rolls any day. So Steve, how did you get your wife to stop doing that? (laughs) (laughs) We always joke because obviously, you know, people who know my, my testimony, I pastor the church, my grandfather started and there were two no votes the night I was voted in and people say, yeah, it's your grandfather and grandmother, you know? Um, But uh, no, in all seriousness, though, that's, it's, that's all of this, it's very consistent with things that we've all dealt with. I mean, as each one gives their testimony, we're all going, yeah, you know, we've been there. Tom, you know, you talked about that early experience and whether it was at that moment or perhaps a later moment, you know, what was it that got you through? What, what was the breakthrough moment where you were like, I got to stick with this thing? I think there's, there's always more than one answer to that question. Mm-hmm. There foundationally it is the grace of God. So the grace of God is yeah. the manifold grace of God, as Peter describes it. I love the word manifold because it expresses itself in so many different ways. And God gives us individual grace. He gives us specific grace. He gives us daily grace. Um, and, but God manifests that grace in different ways. He, he encourages us in different ways. In that case, specifically for me, what he encouraged me with was the thought. And it's helped me before and it's helped me since was that if I quit, I would never get to see the blessing of God poured out. In other words, I would be quitting when it was hard. And so I would not, I'd be quitting when I was sowing the field and I would never get to enjoy the harvest. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a road down here. Sometimes the burden of quitting would be worse than the burden of continuing. Right. And that's a link to that. And I've that's heard good. other preachers say that, um, and there's a blog I, I used to follow about fallen pastors or something like that. And it, they talk a lot about that in that blog. But the idea being that, you know, God has given us, you know, we could take and we could spend even more time talking about the great blessings of the ministry. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And perhaps we should. But the point is that I never would have gotten. And this is what the Lord impressed on my heart that morning was that those blessings were in the future. And if I right. quit, I would never get to them. That's good. And that principle like that God has, what does it say in Psalms? Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Jeremiah's passage about, uh, I know the thoughts I planned for the, and I understand the context of that, but I do believe that God designed. All right. So we've had a technical issue. Um, anybody want to recap and kind of bridge the, uh, the difficulty there? Yeah, we uh, we think Facebook is actually having an issue because it's uh, it's showing up on all of our ends as opposed to just my end. And and I thought it was mm-hmm. I thought it was my fault. Tom thought it was my fault. Martin thought it was my I fault. Did. Steve thought it was my fault, but it's not my fault. Um, yeah, so, so we were just kind of we transitioning into what kept us going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me uh, jump in here then, since that's what the segment we're into. And Tom, I love what you said about the fruit. And I think that's really like I just preached on that yesterday in John 16. Jesus says, you know, the spirit of truth will come. He'll show you things to come. And I don't think that God shows us the future in the sense of, you know, what lottery numbers are going to hit. But we do reap what we sow and God's promises are sure. So when we take God at his promises, 
we know what's going to, what's going to come. And those that put their trust in him will never be ashamed. And probably for me personally, I mean, I know I was called to preach May 2nd, 1988 at Faith Baptist Church in Warren, Michigan. I know I was called to preach. So that calling for me is so strong. Like when my wife was losing her mind and we had, we had awful times. And, and on top of that, at the time we had people within our church, like coming down on us because we weren't at perfection. And then our own guilt, frankly, because we were pretty critical people. And, and so basically I would hold my wife and I would say, God, I know that you're real. I know that I'm saved and I know I'm called to preach. Besides that, I don't know anything. You know, that was my base understanding. It was like, I would have, I would have joined any wing of Christianity at that point that believed those things, because those were the only things I knew for sure. And I knew that my wife and I would just hold her and we would cry and I would say those things to, to God. And that really is, I heard a preacher say it once that was ministering up in Alaska. He said about 30 minutes in Alaska in the winter will knock your burden out of you like that. You got to have more than a burden. You have to have a call. And if you're called somewhere, then that calling becomes strong. And, um, and and, you know, it's kind of like I always say to couples in our marriage ministry commitment, you know, the, the way you don't get a divorce is you don't get a divorce. And really the way you don't quit is you just don't quit. Um, yeah. and that sounds, I think that's something that really helped me. Yeah. You know, what you said about knowing you were called is just, yep. you know, times when I was ready to walk away and I was mad at myself, mad at other people, mad at the world. Um, and just getting alone with the Lord and just being able to say, you know what, God, you've, you've called me to this regardless of results, you know, and just thinking back on my own calling when I was a young man, you know, in Britain, basically a mission field my pastor was preaching and I felt that call to preach. I'd never known anybody called to preach. I mean, I literally had never mm. met someone wow. called to preach. And yet there was something in me that was saying, you know, I want you to, to do this, to, to shepherd people, to, to preach the gospel, to teach the word. And I couldn't even understand what it was because really most pastors I knew were in their sixties. They, they were older men and, and so I didn't even know what it was to be called. I'd never been in a Bible college. I'd never been in an environment where people were going forward and announcing a call. And so being able to look back on that and seeing, you know what, this wasn't manufactured. It wasn't, yeah. you know, just a whim because everyone around me was excited about a call to preach. Um, it was a, that, that direct knowledge that God had something for me to do. And knowing what God had called me to do, it helped me to, to carry on. So the, the illustration that pops in my mind in scripture is David. And I just did a study on this. Um, David, when he got to the battlefield to, to fight the giant, obviously didn't know that's why he was going, but he was in the right place because his father had told him to go uh, at the right time because God had a job for him to do with the right people because his brothers were the people he was sent to and for the right reasons, obedience mm-hmm. to do the right thing. And something I had never seen, and you guys have probably seen it before, but the Bible says Eliab got all over his case and said, you know, I know the pride of, the, of your heart, the naughtiness of your heart. You've come down to see the battle. And David said, is there not a cause 
But then the next verse says that he turned and he said it to the others around him. And they answered according to the former manner. I don't know if you guys have seen that before. David didn't just say it one time. He said it to his brother, and then he said it to the, the soldiers, and they all gave him the same response that his brother had given him. They answered him after the former manner. And I thought, wow, his family was against him. His countrymen were against him. We all know Saul wasn't pro-David. I mean, there were things that hadn't developed yet, and the enemy was certainly not for him, but he had a call, and that call was obedience to God, and he was clear that God had him there for that time, for that purpose. And I'll say just for my personal um, experiences, the way that, that God has sustained me has been, I've looked and I've seen what God has put other people through. And to be honest with you, I say, man, if God can get them through it, then he, he can get me hmm. through it. That's hmm. probably one of my greatest motivators. It's not my only one, but to know that whenever I go through a battle, I'm not the first one to walk through that valley and to know that yeah. God has led people through. And that's just so encouraging to me. And even hearing you guys' stories, I know that I'm the boy, um, but even hearing your stories, it's like, man, I'm, I'm thankful that you've chosen to be transparent on this episode because it helps me. Yeah. I think friends in the ministry is a, a vital thing as well. Um, I look back on times yeah. when I really struggled and having brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, again, I already mentioned Andy Sturm. So, you know, there's been many that have helped me, but, Looking back on some of the lowest points in in my ministry, um, Andrew Sturm, uh, he, you know, the Lord used him to keep me going. And so, you know, mm-hmm. that's one recommendation is have friends in the ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, God has not yeah. called you to bear the burden alone. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and speak with other pastors, reach out. And even if it's not reciprocated, just keep making it known. Hey, you know what? You can talk to me. I need to talk to you. Um, and the Lord will use that. We, we need, we need each other. Do all of you have a friend like that? Oh yeah. I have a group of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've strategically and deliberately built up a circle of friends and it's, right. it's a small circle, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I know that no one is always available. And so I, I know there are several that I can routinely turn to and just pour my heart out to. And mm-hmm. you know, it's, I think you've got to be strategic and deliberate. I think you know, I let, let me add to that. This this is not a shameless plug because I really believe in it. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. But every December in Branson, Missouri, Living United does a pastor's retreat for just couples, husbands and wives. And it has been a huge help to the marriages of pastors and really to pastors' wives, because sometimes pastors' wives, especially they're in a small community and I know we have all the technology that connects us, but that really is a chance to connect with people. And I don't, it is a shameless, it's not a shameless plug. It is a plug livingunited.com, and you ought to send your pastor to it. And if you're a pastor, you ought to go to it because we need encouragement. And that is designed certainly to encourage you. We don't have one main speaker. It's a relaxed schedule and it's three days and it's a great time. And I've been to it several times and I don't know a more encouraging meeting I've been to. Amen. I'm thankful for the church I'm in now. I mean, it's a wonderful church. And one of the conditions they put on me of coming here, they said, you know, a condition of your call is that you let us send you to a retreat every year. Um, And that's separate from my vacation. Uh, They say, you know, you need to be with other pastors. And they're excited to know that I've got friends like you three in the ministry. 
And, and that's, that makes a big difference. Just knowing they're aware, um, that, that goes a long, long way. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's spiritual helps, but I think, you know, I think it's worth mentioning that there are practical things we do as well, because yes, we need to get alone with the Lord. We need to affirm our calling. We need to just, just, you know, bathe ourselves in prayer. But, you know, sometimes we hurt ourselves because of a lack of practical awareness about what beats down the body and therefore it beats down the spirit. Um, and so I'm thinking, uh, you know, the basics of, you know, getting the right amount of sleep, having a good diet and exercise. Um, one of the things that's really helped me is running. And I, you know, it sounds like a poorly made like romantic comedy, but I remember one night after church several years ago, just being so beaten up with things going on. I went for a run in the rain at night. And at one point I was, you know, virtually in tears, but just kind of running. Now I never cried that that's not, you know, a whole stiff upper lip and everything. Um, <laughs> but just getting out there and, and instead of taking out that frustration on my family or even yeah. the people who'd hurt me, just physically expending some energy, um, yeah. that, that was so, so helpful to me. There's a pastor I know that he requires his staff to take a day other than Monday off. He said, you guys, you need to come into the office on Monday because we are not going to put our families through that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I so, deliberately take off Fridays and Saturdays. Yeah. I think having two days a week back to back off is better than having like a half day and then back to it or a day and then back to it. So yeah. I take Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday I'm refreshed. It's the first day of the week rather than oh, yeah. the last day of the week. You're and, one of my heroes. I'm, I'm not brave enough to do what you do. I, but I, I'm, I wish I was. <laughs> I was going to say, I take a day off every week, unless for some reason it doesn't work out. And then I try to fit, you know, maybe take a morning off here or whatever. Uh, Thursday's my regular, regularly scheduled day off, but I take a day off every week and then I hunt. And so <laughs> hunting season comes up and it may not be a day. It may be two. Um, it may be a morning or an evening that I'm not in the office. Uh, I know some guys like to golf. Um, you know, it's, it's just good to have that distraction. I get, a, I get such a, a freedom and it's, it refreshes my awareness even uh, to be able to do that. So can uh, I have a tangible result to something? Cause I, yeah. I'll routinely, when I'm studying, I'll pull five, six different books off my shelf on Logos. I'll re look at another 15 books. And at the end of the day, I can look around and it seems like nothing's been done. And so I think having a hobby where you see something accomplished, especially right. as men, I, I think, you know, we need to factor in the, the, the truth that God has hardwired a desire in us to achieve. And so much of what we do is not tangible. And, you know, so whether it's gardening, you plant a seed, you see something grow, you eat the fruit. I mean, it's a result. Um, and, you know, or decorating or just doing something. We've got a coat rack, you know, two coat racks in our church. We're in Pennsylvania. So we need lots of plates, places for coats in the winter. And I went out once and organized the hangers because I just felt like I'm not accomplishing anything. <laughs> so my OCD was like, okay, well, all the well, same hangers together. Yeah, but, but if you would be more pragmatic, you'd get more done. I'm just saying. So, well, that's it. I, I should do something to, uh, <laughs> you know, get some, yeah. no, let's not do that again, guys. Yeah, Hey, I do want to say one other thing about not quitting, you know, friends are mentioned the call, obviously, and this the decision not to quit, but, I think also we've got to remind ourselves that we're called to serve and to serve people. Uh, the place of a servant is not a gl glamorous thing. 
You know, Jesus says in Luke twenty two twenty seven, for whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. And when we serve, we're among Jesus. And it is a good reminder for preachers and really all of us, but it's not about us, you know, and as much as my shtick and amongst my friends, I joke about my hair and I joke, you know, in fact, my joke with my wife is that it's all about me and I want her to like, you know, you know, I, I joke about that. I hear in the back of my mind all the time, Pastor Brian Tannis, who was my mentor in the ministry, basically drilling in my head. It's not about you. And we need to do that all the time because here we say, God, use us, use us. And then we feel used and abused. We ought to be saying, yes, I got used. This is awesome. I mean, honestly, it's not. And putting it into perspective, too, it's like I wonder if the Apostle Paul's ever had to go without Wi-Fi. I mean, and we 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 have these first world pastor problems. And a lot of times I think not quitting is just bringing back to the reality of we are servants of God. We deserve a place in hell. and. God saved us. And then he, you know, he called us to his ministry. It's an awesome privilege. Yeah. I heard a pastor I think say once. I'm saying is, I'm sorry. I, I heard a pastor say one time that everybody wants to be a servant until they're treated like one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we are minimizing the struggles that others go through, but I think it's a reality. You know, you've got to have the right expectations. Um, and a big help, I believe as well, is understanding that, um, okay, where was I going with that? Yeah, to focus our minds on the the blessings that we've enjoyed because I've got a, a you know a stack of cards that um, it's not a big stack but it's sufficient uh, of someone saying, "Hey, thank you, Pastor, for doing this." Mm-hmm. I got a card lately, uh, recently, and the couple had written down just three or four things that my wife and I had done. And when it was kind of put in a list, and I'm like, "Oh, wow, they noticed." You know, I'm. Amen. They were grateful at the time, but that they would sit down and think, hey, you've done this, this and this for us. And, you know, that that encouraged me. And and I think as pastors, we need to be very deliberate that we focus our minds on the ones who have encouraged us and uh, not to, to always let the squeaky wheel, squeaky wheel get yeah. the oil um, and and just thank the Lord for those who are a blessing. And, and again, here where I'm at and, and in other ministries I've been in there's always been those who have really just encouraged me and helped me. I'll say this. There was one, one guy in our service for a, a, just a few short weeks and not many people would even know who I'm talking about here, which is why I feel comfortable saying this, that, I mean, a thorn in my flesh and from the get go was just adversarial. It was like, wow, where did this come from? And the Lord really used that in my life to teach me. He said, so you're, you're going to get discouraged over one, Look at all the rest mm. and your point, you know, think about those that encourage us. I have far many more encouragements in my life than I do discouragements. And so it's yeah. important to, and, but that's, that's always the battle, right? We, we maximize our, our um, negatives and minimize our positives. So I think that's, that's fantastic advice. Um, Martin, today is your, uh, your glorious birthday. And we uh, bequeath you with the privilege of finishing out our podcast today with the letter. And we'd love for you to read that at this time. I will do. And, you know, let me just say this. I don't know. Uh, you know, this subject is so important that Satan took down the whole of Facebook just to stop the conversation happening. 
Um, yeah. It's so needed. Um, so let's, Wait, let's before, before you start, let me add one thing, because I always have more to say, but any guy listening, don't quit. Look to the Lord. Thank God that you can serve. And if we can help you in any way, Amen. reach out to us. We don't Amen. have all the answers, but we can pray, pray with you and weep with you. Um, so stay at it. Amen. All right. Well, dear church, I want you to hear the heart of a pastor speaking to his brothers in the battle. And so I write to the pastor, dear pastor, God has gifted us with a high and precious calling, a calling that none of us could ever earn or deserve. In making us under shepherds, God has given us a rare charge that really only those who've received it truly understand. And while many in the world carry burdens, I believe that we have a unique set of burdens and blessings. In Shakespeare's Henry V, the King of England speaks lines in an epic speech at the Battle of Agincourt. And he says, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. Amen. And we are brothers in the battle. We get to share joys like few others, but we also carry a variety and degree of burdens like few others. And I want to encourage you, don't quit. Carry on. You're not alone. When you finish a sermon and you feel like the words haven't passed the pulpit you stood behind, carry on. When you offer counsel and it's refused and you see the suffering that awaits those for whom you care deeply, carry on. When once again your sleep is broken as you pray for that one who's backsliding and you feel like you failed them, carry on. When you sit across from those who are weeping from the hurts and abuses they faced and it feels more than you can bear, carry on. When you feel like you're not making any difference at all, carry on. When you look at the multitudes rushing headlong into a Christless eternity, and it feels like it would be easier just to, to look away, carry on. Don't carry on in your own strength, but then don't let love and zeal descend into some kind of bitter duty. Rest in the Lord. Feed your own soul on the gospel and the word. Let your brothers help bear the burden. Sit in the presence of God through prayer and be revived and carry on. And Peter tells us, when the chief shepherd shall appear, you will receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Your fellow soldiers, Martin, Steve, Tom, and Stephen. Stephen.